and welcome to Rich Sports Talk. It's great to have you in here today. Some great news for our podcast listeners. Not only are we officially on SoundCloud, but we are now on Spreaker. That's right, Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com for podcasting. So if you're a Spreaker fan, you can listen to us there. We're on SoundCloud as always. And if you want to check in with us on Facebook, we are on Rich Sports Talk on Facebook. And of course, if you'd like to get on the show, richsportstalk at gmail.com is the email address. Once again, that's richsportstalk at gmail.com. Got a lot on the program for you today, talking about Nick Foles and his future with the Philadelphia Eagles, breaking down Josh McDaniel's decision to stay in New England. But we start with the NBA. I think Gary Oldman can sum this up for me. Uh, Gary Oldman, who did the Cavaliers trade? Everyone! Well, seemingly so. Just think about this. The Cleveland Cavaliers trade away Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose, Amon Shepard, Jay Crowder, Channing Fry, and Isaiah Thomas, and brought in George Hill, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Nance Jr. This was a trade that was done for multiple reasons on multiple levels. Let's start with the Cavaliers, and let's start more importantly with LeBron James. Now, we've all been in relationships before, and relationships can be tough. But we've all seemingly been in the relationship or the friendship where at the end of it all, we had to end it. But we said to ourselves, we should have ended it earlier. We should have ended it earlier because by dragging it out, all we've done is cause ourselves grief, caused us mental fatigue from having to deal with the stress. And finally, when we move on, it's a freeing feeling. I think that's what's happening in Cleveland right now because all we've heard about this entire season, and more specifically the last month, is the drama that's been going on in that locker room. You look at Isaiah Thomas, who didn't ever seem like he really wanted to be in Cleveland. Really, when he came back healthy, really threw a wrench into everything, calling out Kevin Love, and everyone's like, whoa, hold on a minute. You're calling out Kevin Love, who's been there for multiple years and won an NBA championship there, and you've been there for not even two minutes, and you were injured to start the season? And you're calling him out? You, let's also forget earlier in the season, Derrick Rose decides to leave the team for no apparent reason. And Dwayne Wade, one of LeBron's friends, was reduced to basically the sixth or seventh role on that team. What were the big criticisms of this team? They were old and they were slow and they weren't exactly great shooting on the perimeter. So what did the Cavaliers do? They got younger, they got lengthier, they got great defenders on the perimeter, and more importantly, they got some scores that can shoot long distance. These moves were in direct correlation to competing with teams like the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, who Cleveland feels they will face in the NBA Finals. Now, do I think this gives them a better chance to compete with Golden State and Houston? I'm still picking Golden State to come out of the West. Yes. Do I think it's enough to beat Golden State? No. I think what they've done here is made it more interesting. I think that they can compete in games more with Golden State. This might extend the series by a game now, but I'm still sticking with Golden State because of the amount of talent and depth that they have. And let's be honest, I think this move also brings up an intriguing possibility that now you have a lot of younger players on this Cavaliers team. You have a lot of players that don't have a lot of postseason experience, which was one of the strong points of this team, which was, well, they're struggling now, but they're they're just gearing for the postseason. Wade with the postseason experience, Rose with the postseason experience. 
they're just waiting it out. They're just, they'll get it together. They'll find a way to sing Kumbaya by the fireplace and they'll get all their stuff together before the postseason. But this speaks to how bad that locker room environment got because LeBron James said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to play with younger kids. And he never wants to play with younger kids, but he made the decision more importantly. And don't kid yourself. LeBron was the one pulling the strings on these trades that he wanted to get younger, more athletic on the perimeter for defending, and also get some more shooters. But another thing I've also noticed with Cleveland over the last year is you have to read between the lines on a lot of things. And what I'm reading out of Cleveland is they're doing this move to compete this year, but they're also preparing for life without LeBron James. Because even though they traded their first-round pick this year, they were able to keep the Nets pick, which could be between one and six. Cavs are hoping it's a top-three pick. If you were to tell me that LeBron James had left and Kevin Love was there with this young group of talent, I could say, you know what, they could be at least a competitive team, probably a playoff team in the East, which is what I think the Cavaliers would like. But you can tell that the Cavs are preparing, saying, we're not sure LeBron's coming back. You just look at the signs. They're getting younger. They really wanted that draft pick from the Nets. And Dan Gilbert's looking to sell now. Now, he's a shrewd businessman. And what do they always say in business? You want to sell high. And this is the highest his franchise is ever going to be worth. Because he knows when LeBron James leaves, that franchise value is going to plummet by hundreds of millions of dollars. And yes, I said hundreds of millions of dollars. Because think about the importance of LeBron James to that team, and in terms of bringing other revenue streams. Because let's face it, when LeBron leaves Cleveland, no one is going to care about the Cleveland Cavaliers. No one is going to care unless they make it to an NBA Finals, which they won't without LeBron James. No one is going to care. But they at least have put themselves in the position that they're ready for life without LeBron. But I also have to give the Cavaliers a lot of credit because they did something that a lot of people are terrified of, and that's making a big change. Whether it's a big move, we're afraid of moving away from home, whether it's getting out of a relationship that we know is not working, we don't like change. It's human nature. We're creatures of habit, and we don't like to break the habit. And this for LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, is it's hitting up the reset button. They're basically blowing up the entire team and saying, we know it wasn't working, but we're going to try to take these last 30 games with this new group of players, try to figure it out, try to get everyone in their roles for the postseason. It's very interesting because Dwayne Wade's one of his best friends. And you have to admit, though, he did take care of Dwayne Wade because he did send him back to Miami where he, that's a city that loves him. He's the city's favorite son. And I think it'll be great that he can ride off in the sunset with the Miami Heat. So for you Heat fans, this was a great day. You got some great pieces. But more importantly, Dwayne Wade. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain That's right, Miami. He's coming home. Back to Miami. And I think this is going to be a nice move for the Heat. It's going to bring some great attention to them. I think LeBron said, listen, man, you know I, I love you. You know you're a great friend of mine. But this thing in Cleveland right now, it's not going well. I need to reboot. I need to bring in some younger players. And I'm to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I'm sticking around. 
So I want to take care of you. I want to send you back to the to the city that loves you, the city that will build a statue for you outside the arena when your career is over, your number's going to hang in the rafters. You're the city's favorite son. I'm going to let you ride off into the rest of your career with the team that loves you and a city that loves you and a city that desperately needs a star in basketball. And even though Dwayne Wade is past his prime, that city will love the fact that he is just back in Miami. This trade also really symbolized to me how far one player in the NBA has fallen. That is Isaiah Thomas. And think about this. Not even 12 months ago, this was an MVP candidate. And he was the star player in Boston. And now at this NBA trade landline, he's basically been traded away because he's been a cancer in a locker room. And Isaiah Thomas is a good player. But I think one thing we didn't think about, and we saw once he left Boston, Brad Stevens really helped. I mean, think about Isaiah Thomas before Boston. Good player. Good player, not great player. Goes to Boston. Potential MVP candidate. I think that gets in his head a little bit. And then this year, comes to the Cavaliers. And it's just not working. Cavaliers with... Both James and Thomas on the floor, minus 15 and a half. Cavaliers' defensive efficiency with Thomas on the floor, not only is it the worst in the NBA, it's the worst by any player of the last 20 years. That's 118.6. Does not play any defense. And LeBron James, one of the best players of setting people up, driving to the lane, giving them open shots. Isaiah Thomas, shooting 25% on shots from passes from LeBron. And more importantly, Isaiah Thomas, 15 games with the Cavaliers, 7-8 and eight record. With and without Thomas this year, Cavaliers were a 7-8 team with him. Without him, won over 63% of the games at 24-14. It's amazing to see how quickly a team moves off of a guy in 15 games. It's not normal, but it does tell you what you need to know. He's a small player who can score a bit, not overly efficient, and is a liability defensively. And more importantly, he doesn't contribute to wins. Isaiah Thomas, we talked about him last year, possible MVP candidate. But I think we really have to say, well, how much of that is Brad Stevens? Because you look at him since he's left, and I know what people are going to say. Well, he's coming off an injury. Well, he's also had a lot of time to recover from that injury. Cavaliers didn't force him to come back early. And when he's come back, he's looked off. And more importantly, not only is he not playing well, he's been a disruption in the locker room. Think about this. Cavaliers, what are they trying to do? Shoot the three ball better? With Isaiah Thomas not on the floor, they're shooting 38% from three-point range. With Thomas on the floor, they're shooting 31. He has the worst defensive efficiency this season in a minimum of 10 games played and 15 minutes per game. Minus 15.1. The next closest is Zach Levine at 12. And all you need to know is look at who's coming into Cleveland. Let's look at the six players leaving. And the four players coming in. 
Of the six players leaving, the average age, nearly 31, 16 dunks this year, and just shooting 31% from three-point range. The four new players coming in, average age of 27, younger, 81 dunks, what they're losing with two less players, and of course, shooting from three points, 7% better at 38%. What has been the Cavaliers' biggest problem this year? It's been their defense. Second to last in defensive efficiency this season. But you have to give but you have to give the Cavaliers credit. They made the decision, you know what, guys? It just ain't working. It's just not working, and we need to completely reboot this puppy. We need better three-point shooting. We need to get more athletic defenders. And that's what they did. I think the big thing is that they got rid of guys that really weren't good locker room guys. They were having their worst seasons. They were getting older, and they were disruptive, whether it be Isaiah Thomas calling out teammates or Derek Rose just deciding, you know what, I'm just going to take some time off and not tell anybody why. And coming up next on Rich Sports Talk, Josh McDaniels heading back to New England. What does this mean? And also, what is the one factor about this decision that no one is seemingly talking about? We're getting to that next. Rich Sports Talk. And welcome back to Rich Sports Talk. Big news today for Rich Sports Talk fans. We have a new home. We're on Spreaker.com, Spreaker Podcasting. So we're so excited to be on there. We're also on SoundCloud, of course. You can find us on either location under the banner Rich Sports Talk. We have all of our latest episodes, including our Super Bowl wrap-up episode, which broke down the entire Super Bowl. It has a lot of good stuff for you guys. And sticking with the Super Bowl, and more specifically, the New England Patriots. Josh McDaniels staying in New England. Now, I know a lot of people was, this is outrageous. Why would he do this? He basically said he was going to be the Colts head coach. This is an inappropriate behavior. He shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't go against his word. You know what was this week, right? It was National Signing Day for college. You've heard about that. You know, kids signed their letter of intent officially declare where they're going you do realize a lot of those 18 and 19 year olds who probably don't know as much as josh mcdaniels are making a decision about where they're going in life and how many of those kids make the decision to go somewhere else what about that kid that said oh i want to go to florida but the last minute a georgia comes in and basically lose him to go to Georgia. What if one of the top quarterback prospects committed to Alabama, but then he saw that national championship game and that great freshman quarterback for them and basically decided, I don't think I'm going to see the field for three years. I'm going to go to another school. Maybe I'll go to an Auburn. Maybe I'll go to an LSU. Maybe I'll even go to a smaller Division One school. Some fans will give them grief for changing. Oh, they shouldn't be doing that. They're missing out on a great opportunity. But Josh McDaniels made the decision to return to New England, the place where he's seen the most success in his career. Number one, I think he looked at the ownership. We look at Robert Kraft, stable owner, regarded as one of the best owners in football. 
And then he looked at the Colts situation. Chaotic. An owner that is impulsive and doesn't necessarily have the best judgment. They looked at the quarterback situation, and I'll get into that later. He's also been a head coach before, and that didn't work out in Denver. So maybe he was getting cold feet. He also has a family with kids. Maybe he decided, you know what? My wife is happy here. My kids are happy in their school. I don't want to uproot them from here. But I think there are two big reasons. Number one, I think is pretty obvious. But number two, I'll divulge after that. So first things first, why did he decide to stay in New England? I really strongly believe that either Bill Belichick or Robert Kraft, maybe even both, basically came up to him and basically told Josh McDaniels he's the coach in waiting. When Bill's done, it'll be Josh McDaniels' team. I think Robert Kraft's going to give him a great salary as a coordinator and basically has told him, Bill's not going to be here forever. This is going to be your opportunity one day. And the signs that Bill was giving this offseason... He might not even be back next year. We haven't gotten a complete definitive answer. The Patriots have said that they 100% believe Belichick's going to be back. I think the general plan in New England now is, okay, Bill wants to finish up with Tom and if maybe leave a year early and Tom wants to play till he's 45, that's okay. But in the meantime, Josh, it's going to be your responsibility to look at this draft, possibly next year's draft, and find a kid who you think you can develop to be our next franchise quarterback, a la Jimmy Garoppolo and what Bill did. I think that is going to be the plan. They're basically going to say, Josh, when you take over, either you're going to have Brady for another year or two, or you're going to have the guy you've been grooming for the past couple of years out of college. I can see that, and I believe that is their general plan moving forward. And to me, I think Tom Brady might have even gotten involved in this too and said, listen, I know it looks like I get in shouting matches with McDaniels, but I respect him. I don't have long in this league, and I want the coordinator I know can be successful. Tom knows he's probably only got two, three years really left in this league. I think Tom's basically saying, listen, I need all the resources I can get. But here's the thing no one's talking about. What is the status of Andrew Luck's shoulder? How bad is it? See, I think McDaniels got cold feet because either he knows something we don't know or it could be that he's not getting a lot of straight answers out in Indianapolis. And even if he feels he could win a couple games with Jacoby Brissett, let's be honest, the main appeal was Andrew Luck. But this is a guy who hasn't played a game in over a year and who we really don't know how good his shoulder is. I do think the Colts weren't exactly giving McDaniels a straight answer about this. Because think about it, they haven't been giving us straight answers about Andrew Luck. Oh, he's go- he's going to be good for opening day. Oh, all right, he's, he's going to miss opening day, but he'll he'll miss maybe another start or two. Oh, okay, he, he'll be back midseason. Oh, okay, we're shutting him down for the season. They never gave anyone a straight answer on Andrew Luck. I mean, keep in mind, this was a fan base that was trying to sue the Colts because they were told before they bought season tickets that Andrew Luck would be playing this year. And when he didn't play this year, they were rightfully ticked because that's the guy they want to see. And Andrew Luck has been beaten up because of the incompetency 
in the previous regime. No offensive line help. And it's sad because he's lost two good years at least in these past two seasons. But you could also make the case on the back end, this might not be a guy that could play until he's 40 like Tom Brady because he has taken a beating in his early career. I think you're going to, well, when we look back at Andrew Luck's career, we're going to say, man, he could have played another good four or five years if he didn't take all those shots. We forget he had a lacerated kidney. That's how bad he was getting beaten up in that pocket. And I think Josh McDaniels really looked at the situation and said, I'm not getting a straight answer with Andrew Luck. I don't want to go into a situation where if I knew Andrew Luck's going to be my star day one, okay, I'd probably sign that paper, but there's a chance he's not ready to go for next season, and I don't know if he's going to be the same guy. Might not even be 90% of the guy he was. Maybe only 80%, maybe 70%. We don't know. We haven't seen him on a field, and we haven't heard any about the rehab out of Indianapolis. What's his status? There's a lot of questions with Andrew Luck, and to me, Josh McDaniels just decided... I'm going to take the sherbet of Tom Brady, who even though he's going to be 41 next season, has kept himself in remarkable shape. If you were to tell me for next season, and even the next two or three seasons, who I'd have more faith in, it would probably be Tom Brady, just from the fact that we know what Tom probably can do on the field in terms of his health and ability, even if that declines a bit. But for Andrew Luck, he is a complete question mark. We have no idea what we're getting out of him, how healthy his shoulder is, and how long he can play football. Because Indianapolis let him take a beating early in his career, and it has burned them in the present because now they have lost one of the best young offensive minds of football, who I think, just looking at the situation, was comfortable in New England, unsure about the debacle that's been Indianapolis of an organization the past few years about how they've handled personnel. But more importantly, because he doesn't know how Andrew Luck's going to be next year. He doesn't know how healthy Andrew Luck is. He doesn't know the status of that shoulder. And maybe he does. And maybe Josh McDaniels is telling us, without coming out and saying it, Andrew Luck's not the same. That shoulder, it's not good. And there's a chance Andrew Luck, even if he comes back next year, he's not going to be the same. If he didn't get hurt, how great his career would be. It's unfortunate, but I think Josh McDaniels is telling you, and he's telling you Indianapolis fans, Andrew Luck is not in as good a position as you think, and that rehab is not going as well as a lot of people would have hoped. Coming up next on Rich Sports Talk, a lot of speculation around the Eagles and Nick Foles about how the Eagles should trade Nick Foles to accumulate draft picks. I go on the record and say why I think that is a terrible decision for the Philadelphia Eagles and why it's better to hold on to Nick Foles for the 2018 season instead of trading him away for even high draft picks. All that coming up more up next, Rich Sports Talk. Welcome back to Rich Sports Talk. Just a reminder, if you guys want to get on the show, you can always email us to richsportstalk at gmail.com. I actually got a great suggestion in the inbox today, which I'm going to do next week. So one thing we're going to do on this program up until the NFL draft is try to do every two weeks, worst case every month, but we're going to try to do this every two weeks. 
we're going to try to do a full 32-team round one mock NFL draft. I go through all 32 picks and pick out who I think each team will select. So we're going to do a mock draft. Get So next episode, episode five, that's going to be the first one we're going to do this. We're going to do an NFL mock draft, picks one through 32, all 32 teams, who I think teams are going to select now. Sometimes we'll mix it up. We might throw in some trades in there, but for at least the first one, we're just going to pick as if every team is going to pick in those 32 slots. So we're going to have a full 32. Keep that in mind, full 32 team, first round pick. So if your team's not in the first round, <laughs> sorry, you're going to miss out. But if you have a team with a first round pick, you're definitely going to want to win. See who I pick, and I'm going to give a full explanation why I'm picking every single selection, why it makes sense, and why I believe the draft is going to fall a certain way from my experience covering the draft and, of course, how teams are going to value certain quarterbacks this year. So I think the big thing you're going to see is a lot of quarterbacks coming off the board. My quarterback draft is going to... I'm telling you one thing right now. My draft is going to have a lot of quarterbacks coming off the board. Because a lot of teams need quarterbacks. There's a lot of desperation. And this is a very good and talented crop. So if you like quarterbacks, they're definitely coming off the board. And a lot of them in the first round. You might be surprised how many are coming off in the first round of this year's draft. I think we're all prisoners of the moment. And for a lot of people, I think we are over-evaluating Nick Foles. However, I will get into this in a little bit about what this overvaluation can mean. But I think we have to take Nick Foles at face value. Listen, I understand Nick Foles played a terrific Super Bowl and was very good in this postseason. I'm not taking anything away from Nick Foles' postseason this year. You look at the postseason numbers, of course, winning all three games, six touchdowns to one interception, and throwing for nearly 1,000 yards and three postseason starts. He had an impressive postseason. But the thing is you have to look at a picture as a whole. There can be outlier years, and we've seen this before with Nick Foles. And what I'm getting to is the big thing I keep hearing out of Philadelphia is, well, they have to trade Nick Foles now. Trade him to a team that needs a quarterback, accumulate draft picks while his value is high. And I completely get that argument. It's a very good argument because he's going to have... And I completely get this argument. His value is incredibly high. He's a Super Bowl MVP. You're not going to get the same trade value for him, and he, he's going to be a free agent after next season. But here's the one thing I would say to Philadelphia about this and teams interesting in potentially trading for Nick Foles. First, I'll start with Philadelphia. Now, I understand Carson Wentz will be the starter when he is healthy. But here's the thing. Carson Wentz suffered an ACL injury late in the season. There's no guarantee he's going to be back for opening day. And with Nick Foles under center, at least you have a capable quarterback to start the season, even if you have to sit Wentz the first four games. Make sure he's 100% healthy before he gets back on the field. You don't want an incident where you have RG3 rushing his recovery and getting hurt again. So if I'm the Eagles, I wouldn't be so quick to trade Nick Foles because you're going to need a guy to potentially start the season if Carson Wentz isn't ready to go. And I think you got to take some pressure off Carson Wentz and his recovery. I think you don't want him to rush back. You don't want him to be under pressure. And it's a great situation. He has a manageable cap number. And it's a good system where he works well with Doug Peterson, with Frank Reich. So for me, keeping Nick Foles makes a lot of sense. I look at this roster, you got to think they're one of the favorites coming out of the NFC. Now the NFC is going to get very interesting next year. I think the Saints will be better. They're younger defensive players. And Alvin Kamara will now have a season under their belt. 
It'll be interesting to see how Drew Brees continues to play as he ages, but I do see them being a threat. You get Aaron Rodgers back for hopefully 16 games next year. You would expect him to be in postseason contention. It's a very tough division in the NFC East. Even with the Giants in a state of chaos, you still have the Dallas Cowboys there. And the Washington Redskins, in my opinion, with Alex Smith, are at least an 8-9 to nine win team. And don't forget out west. You're going to have the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo for a full season. And you look out west. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a full season in San Francisco. The Los Angeles Rams are a team on the rise with a lot of great young talent. It's going to be a very hard slate in the NFC, but you're going to need Carson Wentz as healthy as possible. And I feel coming into next season, and at least with Nick Foles, he gives you a nice security blanket in case Wentz isn't ready to go the first week. He gives you a quarterback that can win a couple games early in the season. I mean, you have to look at Nick Foles' career. Now, when you look at the career numbers, he's a 22-17 and 17 quarterback in the regular season, completing 60% of his passes, 61 touchdowns, to 29 interceptions. You're like, wow, that's a great touchdown-to-interception ratio. That's nearly 2-1. to one. However, this number is very skewed because of the Chip Kelly year. I mean, you look back to 2013, he had 27 touchdowns to two interceptions. Take that season out of it. Take that great season, that outlier season out of it. He is an average quarterback, slightly higher touchdown to interception ratio, but not a two to one ratio. And let's look at him in St. Louis, four and seven as a starter, seven touchdowns to 10 interceptions, completing 56% of his passes. And for a team that's interested in Nick Foles, don't be a prisoner of the moment. If you want to give a third or second round pick to bring him in to be a capable starter for your franchise for two to three years, to maybe develop a young quarterback, if you're the Jets and you don't want to spend a lot of money on Kirk Cousins, if you're the Cleveland Browns and you have multiple picks, if you want to deal two and threes to Philadelphia to try to get Nick Foles to hold down the floor for a young quarterback, maybe develop the number one pick in this draft, I can see that. If you're willing to give a second, third round pick, but I wouldn't give up a first round pick for Nick Foles. And I understand the value of a great quarterback and I understand the value of a quarterback and having a capable quarterback in the NFL. But we have to look at Nick Foles and he's a good veteran. He's a solid quarterback and he can be a good starter for a team. And in a right system, he can win you games, but you have to put him in a system where Philadelphia has been in this year and where he was with Chip Kelly, which is a run pass option. Now, a lot of coaches, they don't run that type of system. And you have to understand, if you want Nick Foles to be successful for your team, you're going to have to adapt to that offense and not force him into a pro-style system. Football's interesting. It's the one sport where you're one hit away from season being over. And with Nick Foles, I think his value is higher with the Eagles. And I understand you can get a lot of great draft picks. But if I'm the Eagles, I'm holding on to him because you need a great backup. And you also need that insurance policy in case Carson Wentz isn't ready to go in week one. And you don't want to rush his recovery. When Wentz is back, this will be his team again. And as for Nick Foles, I do think when he does hit free agency after next season, especially if he starts the season for the Eagles and plays well in his time, he will get a contract. He will get a chance to start in this league. But if I'm a potential team looking for a quarterback, and I know the temptation is there, a Super Bowl MVP possibly available, and you look, you glance at the career stats, 61 touchdowns and 29 interceptions, but outside of that season, the 2013 season, the 27-2 season, where he threw for nearly 3,000 yards, 2,891, he's never started more 
than 12 games in a season. And outside of that season, where he started 10 games for the Eagles, the 27 touchdowns, the two interceptions, that year was the highest yards he threw for 2,891. The second most was the following year in Philadelphia, 2163, threw for 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and was at 59.8% completion percentage. Nick Foles has never started more than 13 games in a season and has only started in double-digit games twice in his career. All I'm saying is you look outside of Philadelphia. Philadelphia 17-10 in the regular season, 51 touchdowns to 19 picks. Outside of that, 10 touchdowns, 10 picks for his career, and a 5-7 and record as a starter. He's a good backup. He's one of those quarterbacks where if you need him for a stretch in the regular season, he's a good fit. But if I had to put my fate in Nick Foles for 16 games, it could be a long season. He's a good quarterback in the right system with the right coach. And in the right situation, he can make magic happen as we saw in this postseason. But asking Nick Foles to carry a team, be a 16-game starter, and be a playmaker that an offense is desperate for could be a little much. He'll be 29 next season, and in the prime of his career, we've seen enough tape. We've seen his career, 49 regular season games, 39 of them starting, and while his postseason has been impressive, when you look at the numbers and you take out that one great year in Philadelphia in 2013, he's an average quarterback. And outside of Philadelphia, he's been a below-average quarterback in his career. It's a good situation in Philadelphia. Having Nick Foles as the backup to Carson Wentz and a quarterback that they know can come in and help them in a big spot for a team that has the capability to repeat as Super Bowl champions. They're in a good situation with their quarterbacks. They don't need to trade Nick Foles. If the offer is right and a team gives up multiple picks in a first-round pick, The Eagles could make that trade. But be wary. Don't just give them away for a late-round draft pick. You have a good succession plan in case Carson Wentz is hurt and not ready to go week one. And if you're a team that's interested in trade for the Super Bowl MVP, don't be a prisoner of the moment. Realize what history has told you. He's a decent quarterback. He can win some games. But if you're expecting him to be a 16-game star and take you to the postseason, history has told us. That's not going to happen. Just remember, if you'd like to get on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you, our fans. You can email us, as always, to richsportstalk at gmail.com. That's richsportstalk at gmail.com. And follow our Facebook page, Rich Sports Talk. And, of course, we'll be always broadcasting. Our episodes are available on SoundCloud at Rich Sports Talk. Currently in the process of getting on TuneIn and iTunes. That's going to do it for this episode of Rich Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, have a great day.